Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Happy that you've come to study the Bible with us today, and we're going to answer as many of your questions as we can in the next 30 minutes. Uh, maybe we have some first-time viewers who wonder what this program's about. Uh, that's what it's about, is answering questions so that we all know our Bible a little bit better. Um, some religious TV programs, actually most religious TV programs, tell you what they think you need to know. Uh, we kind of flip that around and ask you what you'd like to know. And that's how we study the Bible here. So there's a phone number, website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about. And you direct the program. And the three of us will answer some questions. I'm Steve Tandy. Jeff Martin's down there on the end. Hello, morning. Jeff. And Toby McLevering's with us here this morning. Good morning, Hi, Toby. <laughs> Glad you're all here and studied up and ready to go. Uh, we've got lots of good questions. Uh, Jeff's going to talk about a seance here in just a little bit, but we'll start with one for our viewing audience. Uh, here's your question for the day. Who in the Bible said, let me die with the Philistines? Famous Old Testament story. Uh, see if you know that answer, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. All right, how about the seance from the Old Testament? <laughs> yes, actually a very interesting question. In Samuel 28, a medium called up Samuel from the dead. Can this be done today? Uh, so first of all, let's just go ahead and look at a piece of that story in 1 Samuel 28, verses 11 and 12. Then the woman, and this is talking about the medium here, asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Uh, so this entire chapter in 1 Samuel, along with uh, many instances in the Old and New Testament, actually do have a lot to say about necromancers and mediums and sorcery and divination and all of it. Uh, is extremely negative when we read about it in the Bible. Earlier in the chapter, uh, you can see that Saul tried to do what he should have done, which is consult the Lord, but he didn't get an answer. Uh, so whether out of his impatience or a desire to know something that uh, God didn't want to reveal to him, he went to another source, which was in this case a necromancer. And Saul was wrong to do this. But of course, this doesn't address the viewer's question as to, can this happen now? And again, God told his people several times not to consult with mediums. And I'll say here, not because there's no such thing as communication with mediums, at least in biblical times, uh, but because it was an abomination to do so. Um, I personally have never heard or seen any evidence that this is happening in modern times, uh, but I can't say that with 100% certainty. Um, so 
I don't know that it's impossible to consult a medium today, but I do know that, that it would be wicked and sinful and might possibly bring down God's judgment. So uh, if it were me personally, I would not do that. I would never go down that road. That's my advice. <laughs> okay. You're exactly right. I think, you know, this Bible never says it doesn't work. It just says stay away from it. That's it just right. says steer clear. So your, your answer is good. <laughs> All right, got a question about uh, the Gospels. Viewers reading, and he says, Matthew says that Joseph and Mary went to Egypt after Jesus was born, and Luke says that they went to Nazareth. Isn't that a contradiction? Well, I'll admit, if you're, if you're looking for contradictions and you study hard enough, uh, you can find things like that and say, aha, that doesn't quite agree. Uh, if, however, you're looking at the got Bible account and trying to understand it, <clears throat> then that's not a contradiction. And let me explain the reasoning behind that statement. Uh, the, the trick is harmonizing the Gospels. The Gospels uh, are where a lot of these contradictions are found. The, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are four accounts of Jesus' life. Uh, four different men told it from four different perspectives writing to four different audiences. Uh, so they told different things. Uh, some of them tell the same story four times. Uh, sometimes a, a story about Jesus' life is only in one of the Gospels. Now, putting all that together and putting it in the right order is sometimes kind of tough. Uh, harmonizing the Gospels is what we call that. And there are people, scholars, who have studied and worked at that and published what we call a harmony of the Gospels. Uh, you can buy a book about the size of a Bible, but it's just the four Gospel accounts all put together like that. Uh, Matthew may say one thing, Mark may say another, Luke may say another, and the harmony Gospels puts that all together in a chronological order uh, where it's a lot easier to understand. Now, if you look in a harmony of the Gospels and you get to the part where Jesus is born and uh, dedicated to the temple and all that, uh, our viewer is right. After he's dedicated the temple, uh, which, which one is it here? i gotta got to remember. Uh, Luke says they went to Nazareth. He's the only one that says that. Uh, Matthew says that they went to Egypt. Okay. Now, let's think about one more thing here. Uh, when there's a car crash, we're in a car accident, and the police come and interview all the witnesses, uh, if they interview four witnesses, do they get perfectly the same stories? No. Uh, one tells this part, one tells this part, one remembers this part. And then the policemen all get together and they have to harmonize that story, uh, see if it all fits together. Well, that's what a harmony of the Gospels does. Uh, Luke said they went to Nazareth. Matthew doesn't include that fact. He just jumps right to the fact that they went to Egypt later. Okay, <clears throat> Like I said, if you're looking for a contradiction, you can say, oh, that's not agreeable. If you're looking to understand, you would say, okay. Uh, a good explanation is that after they dedicated Jesus, they made a trip to Nazareth, uh, probably picked up some of their home goods because they were going to relocate to Bethlehem. They hadn't decided to do that before, and they chose to raise Jesus in the city of David. 
So they made a trip home, got some supplies, came back, settled in a house, and then the wise men came, and then they were warned to go to Egypt. That all fits together uh, real well. So I agree it's not the full story in every gospel, uh, but it fits together fine, and I don't think it's a contradiction at all. All right, Toby. You're, 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 I was going to just jump on your answer. That's exactly right. If you like to read biographies, especially of famous people, there are multiple biographies of Winston Churchill or somebody like that, and they're about the same guy. Presumably he lived the one same life, but the, the perspectives and the observations and what directions the authors go are a little different. We know that with human literature. Nobody questions those biographies. Uh, same is true with the gospel accounts. You're yep. exactly right. Yep. So It all fits, I It think. does, for sure. <laughs> All right, uh, the next question is, um, explain Matthew ten thirty-four through 36 about Jesus bringing a sword, not peace. All right, well, let's look at Matthew ten thirty-four through 36. It says, do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her own mother-in-law. And a person's enemy will be those of his own household. Okay. Well, the simple uh, explanation, although it's kind of hard to imagine, is that Jesus is a very polarizing figure. Uh, he is today, and he certainly was back then. Now, there were lots of people who claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, God in flesh. Well, he either was or he wasn't. There's not much gray area with Jesus. And so I have no doubt that there were actual families that split over whether or not Jesus was who he said he was. Um, Perhaps a child saw the miracle that he did, and they said, that man is the Son of God. And his parents said, that is blasphemy. You cannot talk like that. And, and we can just imagine all of the repercussions that Jesus would have caused. Now, we think, wow, this seems not to be very Jesus-like. We typically think of him as a more peaceful figure. But no, when Jesus, with the claims about who he said he was... It, you're either going to go one way or the other. Now, some people try to kind of ride the fence and say, well, Jesus is a good moral man. He's a good uh, teacher. But, yeah, I wouldn't really call him Lord, and I certainly wouldn't way he's say he's the only way to God. Well, uh, okay, but, but Jesus did say those things. So, man, we kind of have the same choice today. What are we going to choose, to believe Jesus and to believe the claims about himself or not? And that's still a divisive topic. So in the first century, that hit families a lot closer to home, and certainly as persecution broke out against those who turned to Christ uh, within their own families, you can surely imagine dinner table conversations like, ah, come on now, are you, are you really all in with the Jesus guy? Because this sounds crazy to me. Yeah, we can just picture that and imagine that. So that's what Jesus is saying there, that people would be very divided uh, that's what a sword does. It cuts and it divides. And, and that would, is what happens even still today about Jesus. Um, Jesus said in, in Matthew, or rather in John 15, 18, he says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Right? And not only was Jesus divisive, but the world hated Jesus. They didn't like what his claims were. Not because they weren't true, but they just didn't like it. Okay, so... That still happens today. And so we have to choose where we're going to follow Christ or follow the world. Let's look at one script, one more scripture in Colossians chapter 1, 19 through 20. is speaking of Christ. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself 
all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus did come to bring peace, but it's not in the sense that we think of peace. It was peace and reconciliation between us and God. And over the claims of who he was, well, that's still a divisive subject. But the Bible's clear on who Jesus was. All right. Thank you, Toby. And uh, you say it still happens today. I think we in America have it so easy that uh, uh, we don't realize that. I, I get a magazine called The Voice of the Martyrs, which mm-hmm. tells story after story. A lot of them are from the Muslim world about somebody that accepts Jesus and their family yep. Yeah, yep. wants to kill them. Yep. Uh, you know, So it's very, very prevalent uh, today, just not so much in our world yeah. in yeah. some ways. Getting more so, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get we get canceled. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Our, it's our our biggest persecution. <laughs> Let me take a moment and invite you to study the Bible with us. We uh, like answering questions and hope that teaches you a little Bible. Uh, but the Bible's God's word, and it's worth some study time. So we advocate home Bible study and encourage our viewers to get uh, a regular habit of Bible study. And we've got some tools that'll help you do that. Uh, here's a course of lessons that we start folks with. It's just a real basic overview of the Bible. Helps you understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then goes on to a few other topics. And once you get through that and graduate, you can go on to these other courses we've got that just help you understand your Bible in uh, lots of different ways. So good study tools. Uh, a lot of people have done those for years and uh, all free of charge and uh, enjoy studying those lessons and learn a lot. Uh, we've added some online courses in case you'd uh, like to do it digitally. Just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and we'll get you set up with some online courses, uh, all of them absolutely free of charge. Phone number, website on the screen. Use those if you'd like the print lessons. Uh, log on to the worldbibleschool.org site if you'd like to start some online lessons and study the Bible with us. All right, Jeff, what's uh, up next here? I've got one of those questions that's more of a statement than a question. Um, We are to be baptized in the name of Jesus. If Jesus was not specifically named, uh, you need to be rebaptized. So uh, my opinion means very little on that. So let's go right to the Bible and let's see what it says. Uh, There's a few different phrases that people use from the Bible. The first is from Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we see in Acts 2.38, it says, In the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, The other most common one is in the Great Commission. That won't be on your screen, but I'll I'll read it for you uh, from Matthew 28, 18 and 19. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that's the phrase that I've used most, I've heard used most often uh, during baptism. And then also it's worth mentioning in Acts 19.5, it also says when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we have three different instances there from the Bible. And there are some groups that emphasize in the name of Jesus alone. Uh, but it's worth mentioning that, that in the Great Commission, that was Jesus speaking. 
And he commanded baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, all of these scriptures together uh, indicate that the specific formula used is less important than the meaning and the condition of your heart when you're doing what you're doing. It could easily be argued that you could say the words and, and still not mean them. So I think if you're baptizing in the name of Jesus, uh, then that's good. And if you're baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit like Jesus told us to in the Great Commission, uh, that's also good. All right, I got a question about Old Testament circumcision. The viewer says uh, males were circumcised to be in covenant with God. How did women get included in the covenant? Uh, all right, good question. Uh, first of all, let's understand what circumcision was for. It was not for salvation. Now, I agree that the Jews trusted so much in it that they kind of saw it as their salvation, a sign of their salvation. But salvation came by faith. Uh, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Uh, that's how it's always been. That's how it still is. We're saved by faith. If we believe God, we'll do what he says. Uh, the proof that Abraham believed God was that he even was willing to sacrifice his son if God said so. So, uh, saved by faith. But the circumcision, the circumcision of males at eight days old, uh, was a sign of uh, being in covenant, in a covenant relationship with God that God had started, uh, it indicated that you were one of his chosen people. Uh, so God instituted circumcision to say that Israel was his chosen people. Now, the women were not circumcised. They were recognized in covenant through the male, either their father or their husband when they got married. Uh, and I realize that's politically incorrect today, but that's the way the system worked. Uh, it was a patriarchal society. Uh, the identity in Christ of the family uh, came through the male being circumcised. Uh, the rabbis in those days explained it by saying that uh, the female was naturally circumcised. Uh, and through her husband or father, uh, she also received the blessings of the covenant. So, good question from our viewer, but uh, that's the way the system worked back then. The female got her covenant identity uh, through her male uh, family member. All right, we have another male-female question, <laughs> uh, and it is this. Uh, does First Corinthians 11.5 teach that it is wrong for a woman to cut her hair? And so let's read First Corinthians 11.5. It says... Every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it were since it, it is the same as if her head were shaven. All right. Um, I'll always warn anyone against identifying a specific belief or group of uh, just just a, a belief system based on a single verse. We teach time and again on this program the best answer to most Bible questions is simply context. Reading the verses preceding and after the, the verse that you're looking at, give us a picture of what is being said. We understand that the, the 1 Corinthians 
was written to the church at Corinth. It was a letter that Paul had written. It was to a church that had a lot of problems of division and sexual immorality and a church that was so divided. And one of the things that they were really divided on was their use of spiritual gifts and the worship. And the, you get the sense that the worship at the, at the church at Corinth was just chaos is really what it boils down to. And they had so much going on and so much division that Paul's really trying to rein things in and bring it back. And so uh, basically there's a controversy about the roles of men and women and the authority that they have or don't have within the church. Paul's making a, well, a little bit of cultural background. In that culture, uh, you know, it's different than our culture. We, we, you know, when, when, if you are a married woman, in that culture, you wore a veil. It was a sign of uh, uh, respect. It was a, res- a sign to others that you were taken. It was, um, it was just the way that a married woman showed to others that she was married. Uh, we have that in our culture like a, a wedding ring, right? You're, you're, you're both husband and wife wear that. But the people who didn't wear the veil was, were the, the pagan temple prostitutes. They discarded that, and it was a flaunting of uh, their, basically, immorality. And they were showing uh, openly. They were very proud of their immorality and who they were and what they did. And so Paul's saying, listen... <laughs> you got to pay attention to how you present yourself uh, in the worship assembly and certainly outside because how you present yourself sends a message in this culture. And so for a woman to be unveiled in that culture was dishonoring to her husband and it would be absolutely culturally confusing within the church within you know as they were gathered together. It would be the same... Uh, uh, as a as a ma- married man wearing a veil, and that just was that was people would say, what's going on? Why you know? And so for them to see an unveiled woman in the assembly, they would say, what is this pagan prostitute doing here, uh, speaking the word of God? These people are absolutely confused. They don't know what they believe. All right. So that's that's a, a little bit of the background. And Paul is appealing to, first of all, natural biology. Uh, which I realize even in today's culture this is politically incorrect, but but the fact is men and women are different. We have different DNA. We have different uh, the way that our our uh, the inner inwardness of us works, the way that our brains are developed. It's it's all we're all very different, and even in the natural order of things, women have long hair. Men, you know, are prone to shorter hair. Male pattern bald, baldness is an example. We tend to recognize those things in biology. And Paul's just making the same case here. It's the nature of things that women have long hair and men have short hair and that women gave or that God gave women this sort of natural veil with their longer hair. So um, I think the point that he's getting to is don't have a church that is culturally confusing where you have men and women doing different things uh, and bringing in ideas from the culture that are obviously not acceptable to God. We need to be clear on the difference between male and female and understand that God established different roles for men and women within the church. So uh, that's the larger context. Took a little bit of time to explain that. That's why it's important we don't just single out one verse. No, I don't think that 
Paul is specifically forbidding a woman to cut her hair. Uh, if he did, he would have specific links and all of that, and he doesn't. He's just a, a, addressing a problem that was a real issue in Corinth and showing how the church church ought to uh, observe the natural order of things and recognize the differences between men and women. Hope that helps. I may invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you, though we're kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and we like to thank the ones that support us. So here's a couple in uh, central Kansas, uh, Augusta, Kansas, and on the east side of Wichita, the East Point Church of Christ out on 127th Street. Both of them are great congregations, uh, good groups, folks that uh, study and think about the Bible a lot like we do here on this program. Uh, they believe in this program and help us stay on the air. So if you know somebody at one of those congregations, uh, give them a thank you next time you see them. And certainly if you're searching for a church home and live close to one of these uh, groups, you'd be warmly welcomed at either of them and uh, at any Church of Christ in the area that you're watching. All right, Jeff, uh, okay. somebody's looking for a verse. That's right. Where do I find where Jesus asked who do you say that I am? And this can be found in three of the four Gospels. And let's look at one of those occurrences in Matthew 16, verses 15 and 16. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, obviously, in this situation, Jesus knew who he was. Uh, Jesus didn't need Peter to tell him who he was. He also already knew what Peter believed um, this was more about Peter's confession. And actually, we still practice a confession of faith similar to Peter's confession, and we proclaim who Jesus is before we're baptized. Um, and we confess the answer to that question, who do you say I am? Uh, it's a big part of becoming a Christian. But this phrase can be found not only in Matthew 16, 15, and 16, but also in Mark 8, 27, and 29, and in Luke 9, 18, and 20. So that's where we can find that. All righty. Viewers got a question here about uh, something they've heard. I've heard <clears throat> that after a person dies, they'll have a way to accept Jesus. Is that true? Uh, well, you may have heard that, and it's certainly a comforting idea. It uh, means that we get a do-over. It uh, means that, uh, yeah, it's never no hope. Uh, we can live any way we want, and after we die, we, we got a chance. Uh, unfortunately, there's no Bible for that. Uh, sounds like an intriguing idea to humans, but no Bible for it. Uh, in fact, the Bible specifically says the opposite. Well, let's look at that verse in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. <clears throat> Writer Hebrews says it's appointed unto man uh, to die once, and after that comes judgment. Uh, you get judgment after you die. When you die, it's all settled. There's no more chances, no more opportunities. Uh, so I don't know where our viewer heard that, uh, and as appealing as it may be to we humans, there's absolutely no Bible for it. So uh, be ready for that last day, and uh, don't count on another chance. All right, let's take this moment and uh, make sure we get our trivia question answered today. Uh, if you ever wanted to know who let, or the, our question is, who said, let me die with the Philistines? Well, most of our Old Testament scholars know that was Samson. Great story in the book of Judges. Uh, Samson was quite a character, uh, blessed by God, but misused a lot of his blessings. Uh, messed up quite a few times, but at the end of his life, 
Uh, he was willing to give his life to take out as many Philistines as he could. Uh, so he pulled the temple columns down and destroyed a lot of Philistines along with himself. So uh, interesting story about Samson. We're glad that you've been with us today. We hope we get your question answered today. If not, be back next week. We're going to answer a lot more of them. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.